Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. We are uh, sorry we couldn't make it last week. We had to cancel last week's because I was uh, tied up in, well, meetings. Up to your eyeballs and uh, yeah. Yeah, there was uh, there was bureaucracy happening last week, so uh, I was I was I was I was having fun with uh, higher education bureaucracy, uh, but delighted to be back uh, with you all today um, to continue our adaptation discussion. And we never even got a chance to finish our discussion of episode eight. Really, we spent a we while talking about Halbrand. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's so much more yeah. to talk about. Um, but uh, first, let, before we go too much further, let me uh, quick just sort of remind folks that been announcing this uh, during the course of this week. But um, we have begun this week our fall fundraising campaign for Signum University. Normally that happens uh, starting uh, on the 22nd of September on Bilbo and Frodo's birthday and going through the middle of October. But there were some other things going on at that point. It was a crowded time no and I, I wanted to wait until we were really clear because, of course, the fall fundraising time is when we really focus on what Signum University does. We really sort of, you know, want to, to really be able to spotlight Signum University and to uh, talk about the, 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 the things that have been happening, to reflect on the year, to look forward to the year to come, and of course to celebrate all of you wonderful people who help to support Signum University and make it all possible. Um, it is, of course, the time of year in which I ask you to consider making a donation to support Signum University, which is a totally, uh, 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 totally tax-deductible donation. I would add, if you're looking for a place to make tax-deductible donations, well, you could do it in a place to support Tolkien studies, not to mention the future of higher education, and uh, a bunch of other things that we're doing this year, like our new Signum University Press and Signum Studios. Um, we are going to be... Uh, Signum is moving into the world of content creation, and we're doing this in a big way and in a very Signum University way. Um, where we're focusing on community and connection, not just through the things that we release, but even in the process of the development of the projects that we're doing. So I hope that uh, uh, you guys will, again, many, many thanks to those of you who do and who have supported Signum and who do support Signum. Um, and I would just, uh, again, I would invite folks to, uh, to consider it. We are a good cause uh, and there is a lot that is happening at Signum. On the 19th of the month, is that's our the close of our fundraising campaign. That's the 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 campaign ending webathon uh, that has become traditional now over the last 10, 11 years. And there I'm going to be giving my State of the University address where I walk through all the big things that are happening in detail. And uh, so there'll be a lot that will be happening. We'll be talking about Signum Studios. Maggie and I will be talking about Signum Studios uh, and other things then as well. So lots of stuff happening. So I, um, um, I hope that I hope that uh, you guys are uh, able to to consider that and to tune into what's going on here this month as we celebrate Signum uh, and another wonderful year at Signum University. All right, so Maggie, episode eight feels feels remember like that? a really long time ago. You, yeah, do you remember episode? Eight? Do I, I do. This show, I do. Of Power. Yeah, it happened about? several weeks back, um, and uh, they've been busy weeks, and so it seems like a very long time. Uh, yeah. since we had our episode eight things. Scrape off the cobwebs a little bit and be like, okay, we remember this episode. 
But I do think it's important that we revisit it because yes, so much happened, but also like, I feel like we need to finish talking about episode eight and where people are. And I really want to talk to you guys about like questions that you've got and things like that, but also some of a retrospective of the entire season. So I don't know if we'll get to both of those tonight, but I do feel like we kind of need a state of the union of season one of like, here's how it went. Here's how we feel. Here's what they showed us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Well, okay. So the things that we really didn't get a chance to um, to do, uh, to talk about it really at all, was the resolution of the Stranger storyline, Stranger and Harfoot storyline, um, which was really one of the two major plot points. I mean, we had sort of the A plot of episode eight was clearly Galadriel and Not Halbrand true. and the Halbrand. Rings of Power, right? Um and then, but the the significant B plot uh, was the stranger and the Harfoots. Um, by the way, a little side note: we never talked about this. I was frankly surprised that episode eight was normal length. I was expecting mm. a longer episode, at least um, a little bit longer. I mean, we were kind of not necessarily rumors. a double episode. No, but we were hearing rumors about like two hours, two plus, and yeah, yeah. I am surprised that there wasn't more than that because, frankly, they could have used it. We we could used a little bit more time to wrap up some of these things. Yeah, I, I do think. Well, I mean, I guess one of the places where it would have been helpful, maybe, to have a little bit more time, uh, would have been. I think I would have wanted to see just a little bit more Numenor. Mm. We got we got a fair bit of Numenor. I didn't hate where they left it, like the death yeah. of Tar Palantir and the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the succession and where things yeah, will be. Yeah, but I kind of wanted a little bit more of that, you know, like we know the arc of where Farazhan's going, but I don't know if we really felt that. It would have mm-hmm. been nice to have a, a few more seeds planted. Yeah, that, that was... And be reminded about that. That was especially, I felt. And... I gather they, I mean, they clearly wanted, it's not like they just ran out of time. Like they clearly wanted to leave Aarian's story in the uncertain place that it was. And so I'm kind of okay with her going up and finding the Palantir and, and um, our having to, you know, wait and wonder to see what the discovery, her discovery of the Palantir and therefore presumably uh, her hearing about the, coming downfall of Newman or how that's going to affect her. Um, yeah. Her interpretation of that and what she does with it. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't mind that at all. Um, but, um, but anyway, it was, um, yeah. I, Chris, I don't know what you're talking about, about Amazon cutting two episodes. I don't think there's any evidence that they've cut two episodes. The idea that it was going to be 10 episodes long was a conjecture based on the fact that they kept saying 50 hours, right? Yeah. 50 hours over five seasons. So And so everybody was like, so 10 one hour episodes, right? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of... Somewhere, somewhere we all assumed one hour episodes, but... yeah. That was a conjecture. Turns out the episodes were a little more than one hour and it ended up being a little bit less than 10 hours for the entire first season. Um, I don't think that there's any evidence that that suggests they had a whole other two episodes planned that they cut. Mm -mm. Two more episodes at the rate in which they were doing it um, would certainly have been longer than, you know, one fifth of the entire show Um, that they may be saving you know, so that one, like perhaps season five, uh, you know, we'll get like bunches of extra, you know, yeah. Last Alliance stuff. I wouldn't be surprised to see more than 10 hours in season five. 
But I do agree with what Trish is saying. Um, we could have used two more episodes. And I don't know if it, I mean, I don't need to assign the number two onto it, but my I don't, issue sounds so dramatic, but my main like comment throughout season one was pacing. And mm-hmm. it, I just feel like it didn't hit its stride until episode four or five. And then it jumped again. And there was just a real like mix that didn't flow equally. And if we'd taken a little bit of a breath and stretched it out a little bit longer and spent a little bit more time per episode. Like seeing six storylines in one episode didn't really serve anybody, audience or character. That I loved that first episode where we got just one storyline or one or two storylines because yeah. that's yeah. where we started to care. So yeah, if we had had a little bit more time and a few more episodes, maybe we could have stretched that out a bit more. Yeah. But here yeah. we are if we didn't. So, you know, <laughs> we're figuring it out. <laughs> right, right. And it is, it is hard. I mean, it's... It's one of those things where I often think that people, well, I'm, I have to admit, I am often strangely puzzled at the kind of assumptions people often make about lengths of things, right? Mm. Um, Whether it's something as simple as people laughing at me for spending three hours talking about a short poem, and I'm like, Dude, like, have you ever tried to explain anything to anybody? (laughs) Like, like it's in order to explain, you know, um, you just you can't uh, you can't. It takes time. You know, you can't. It's a it's a it's a it's a, you know, uh, only somebody who has never done any teaching would say that, like, well, obviously, if it's a, you know, a poem that takes 15 seconds to read, it should only take at most a couple minutes to discuss. It's like, no, that's not how discussion works. That's not how, that's not how like analysis Analysis happens. Um, So uh, anyway, but so there's, there's kind of, there's, there's, there's things like that. But I think even back to the Hobbit movies um, where everyone was so certain that the problem with the Hobbit movies is that they tried to make three movies out of it. I still say, no, the problem is it was too cramped. Like, the story they were telling needed more room to breathe in some mm. ways than they were giving it. Like, yes, there were bad elements, but merely saying, like, there's not enough material for three films in the little children's book they were trying to make three films out of. They weren't trying to make three films out of the little children's book. They were trying mm-hmm. to make three films out of the little children's book set into the epic backdrop that Tolkien had developed and that they had developed through the Lord of the Rings films. And that is that could certainly have been done and done really well in a three film sequence again I'm not saying it was done well but the fact that it was done well is not but again people have this idea that like it should have been two it you know it should have yeah. been shorter it should have been short no it should have been better but it needn't have been shorter uh you know so it's and 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 anyway in the same way like with this show <sighs> that's the that's the big sorry I'm jumping yeah. in there but no, like, that's the big difference I think too of like I remember the first time I saw a um, set series, Sherlock, on BBC. And there were, I think, three episodes per season. And they were an hour and a half long. And they were phenomenal. You know, so tight, so well-written, incredible characters, great production value that I wanted more, but I didn't need more because that story was good and tight. So there is that difference between, like, you can get incredible work done in two hours. Mm-hmm. or 10 hours 10 hours yes. is not going to save bad writing or bad structure or bad pacing you know all those things it 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 needs to just be better so yeah i feel like that is the big the big difference there yeah yeah and so i mean with the rings of power stuff like there's 
there is I hear some people saying like, oh, they're like trying to stretch this small thing over. And I'm like, no, I no, I don't see stretching. I see cramming like there's yeah. too much. If there's a problem, it's there's too much. As you said, there's you know, we could have used with more time to, you know, really get to know. Now, I don't know what I would recommend they had cut. Right. I mean, if six, the six plot lines were too much, which one could we do without? I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess of all of them, in theory, to me, from a Tolkien perspective, the most expendable one was the Southlanders plot line. Right. I mean, if you had to ditch one of the plot lines, um, mm. you could live without the before door plot line. Like you, I mean, you can't live without yeah. Linden. Like, I mean, you've got those, that's like the major elf characters, right? Who are going to be, yeah. you can't live without Numenor. Like that's a major, major second story plot line. You can't, I mean, you could ignore Khazad Doom, I guess. But even that is, can, I mean, I know. No. And it was the best storyline in the show in any case. So, um, but again, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking from, from like a Tolkien perspective, yeah. which of those, I mean, and but, but I don't think you can. Well, it would be very hard to do it because of the connection between Khazad-dûm, not only between Khazad-dûm and Celebrimbor and Eregion, which I think is going to, I believe, is going to develop over the course of the next season, but then also with uh, the relationship of Galadriel too. So you could do it, but you'd lose something pretty significant. Um, the Harfoots might on the surface look most extraneous, but I don't think... I would, I'd vote for the Southlanders. I'd vote the Southlanders off the island before I would vote the Harfoots off the island. And not just because I love the Harfoots, but because of where they're headed, right? The Harfoot plot line is headed east into Rune. And I think that that is a delicious, delicious direction for a storyline yeah. to go in the Second Age. In terms of like cutting things, I don't think we could actually get rid of anyone easily. So that no. is definitely a credit to the series and the writing that they've found the races that do tell the story Tolkien-wise and lore-wise, but also connection. Because if the two that are most obviously on the chopping block are the Harfoots and the Southlanders, those are the ones that I think are the easiest connections to human audience members, right? Like, we're going to connect with that because that is a mortal person with a normal life that we can understand and relate to. And I do feel like the Harfoots are kind of the gateway in for a lot of people that they can relate to that. So mm -hmm. that would be a tough It's always one. been the Hobbits. Yeah, I mean, it's always been the Hobbits. Um, and like, and the Southlanders, like that's such a great idea of this became Mordor. Think about what yeah. the land was before. Yeah. Everybody can relate to that as well. That and especially if, as kind of looks like maybe, as where we see at the end of season one, if they're going to be moving across the river to Pelargir and then perhaps upstream, like basically if the Southlanders are going to become proto-Gondor and right. the peoples, because uh, we know that when the Numenorians like Elendil and Isildur uh, and Anarion come to Middle-earth, they're going to be settling and joining themselves with the indigenous peoples who are there. Uh, getting to know the indigenous peoples in advance, right? So that uh, we can be, we can, we can un understand and appreciate their connection. I, I guess, I'm not saying that any of them are just useless right. or expendable, um, but that's it's it's kind of the point of the exercise, right? You can right. see really good reasons not to cut each one. Um, I do think, and also a really so, good example why adaptation is so hard. Like it is very hard. Yeah, you, you, you kind of have to keep these. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so again, when I ask myself, and this is, again, this is another thing that I find uh, a general challenge that I would issue to a lot of, to people who are critical of the show is how would you do it better? Like, tell me, tell me how you would do it 
differently. Um, and as I you say, adaptation question. is hard. <laughs> yeah, and I love that question because I feel like people often get not combative. I have no interest in engaging in that, but passionate. So right. like they have a really clear idea of how they would do it differently. That's right. great. That's cool. why there's, Let's that's talk why about there's that. like yeah. seven versions of Little Women. You know, that's why there's like <laughs> right. a reinvention of Pride and Prejudice every couple of years. Like everybody right. has a different vision, but it's great to hear that. And it's fun in the speculative way to like think about how you would do it differently. But what we have in front of us is what we're discussing. Yes. Yeah. And here's what I would do different, you know, like it's just <laughs> right. easy to fall into that path. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I agree. I think that that's um, uh, that. And again, for me, certainly um, that's uh, that's definitely sort of where the uh, where the where the fun lies, um, just like in film, film, Jason. Exactly. Yes. That's 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 uh, that's just the kind of thing that we're doing there, which we're starting up again this week. We've been we've been pretty much out since uh, because it's Thursday nights. So uh, that was awkward. It was the most awkward of my regular broadcasts to try to continue for that reason. Um, but uh, we're back uh, uh, in, in uh, film film tonight doing the meeting of Baron and Luthien, by the way, is the episode we're discussing in film film tonight. But anyhow. Um, OK, so. Yeah. Now, uh, Finrod84, great question. Or uh, Finrod84 says, um, you know, I definitely wouldn't have uh, done the mithril thing. Well, obviously, I wouldn't either. Like, that's not, uh, I, I certainly, I, you know, there are some things that I look at, I'm like, I might have come up with an idea like that. Or indeed, places where I'm like, we did come up with ideas that were quite like that uh, when we talked about this kind of thing in some film. However, um, like uh, our Goadriel was quite similar to their Goadriel in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways. In particular, uh, the choice to make Goadriel the kind of locus for a, a, a kind of a PTSD self-reflection um, uh, and being in that kind of trap of self-blame and survivor's guilt and things like that. Um, we also made that same choice with Goadriel. Um, however, uh, the Mithril storyline... We, we we can't know. we have to see where it plays out. Like I don't yeah. know yet what that story is or what in the end it's going to be about, and so I can't yet evaluate whether I think it was a good idea or not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do I love everything that I've seen about it yet? No, I don't love everything that I've seen about it. But it's still clearly really early days in that plot line, so it's hard to say. That was my thought with the Harfoots too. You know, we just, we can't say anything about this yet because I didn't know until this episode that they were going to be moving on to something so iconic you know something yeah. so necessary to discuss and that's exciting yeah um so yeah before that it was like well these guys kind of are expendable yeah 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 we'll see uh the oh there was another thing i was gonna uh address oh um Ring the bells yeah, let's see. Is the Mithril actually actually imprisoning the Balrog? Trish, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. I Ooh. don't think so. How but would that work? maybe. I mean, that is the... So the idea would be if the... It's hard to see if, of course, the... Uh, um, is it like the kryptonite to Balrogs? Well, I don't know. Um if the weird fable about the formation of Mithril is true, which I still don't believe in, then um, uh, then yeah, Balrog's 
were part of maybe even that Balrog was a part of its formation. So why would it be? Would be my first question. With that's kind of hard to to see how a Balrog could be both part of the origin story of Mithril and also have a kryptonite reaction to Mithril. Why would it? Like if elves don't, and elves were also presumably you know anyway. So that's a little hard to understand. Um, but uh, but I, but then again, Trish, I do agree with you that the visual image of those veins of mithril extending down that cavern um and then the balrog at the bottom in the middle kind of hunched up like it was i don't know it is like stronger than dragon scales right like it is the strongest substance so maybe the the balrog so it's not like kryptonite where it'll burn you but it will contain you because you can't break it so maybe that is the idea that it's physically like a jail cell well, I I don't know. I don't think it would be physically. I think it would be presumably something in its metaphysical influence, you know, or whatever. But um, right. yeah, Nameless Arcanum, I totally hear you on mm. that. Nameless Arcanum says the duality of the mithril story is maybe what I'm most hung up on. Um, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, if I if I had to give Nameless Arcanum, if there's one point in all of season one, I mean, obviously I've been. I've been kind of dramatic about the whole how Brand is Sauron thing. But if there were one thing no. in the entire season, yeah, I know, I know. Um, if there were one thing in the entire season that gives me, that gave me most pause, it was, I totally, that's exactly where I am too. Um, the implicit, the implicit duality involved in like Mithril is great because it contains the essence of both good and evil. That was, um, I could, if, that was the one sentence in the entire uh, in the of, in all of the scripts of the entire show. That was the one sentence that gave me most pause for sure. Mm. Um, so I'm right with you there. And as somebody who doesn't have the the same kind of understanding of the lore, that didn't add anything to my experience with Mithril. You know, mm-hmm. having the duality, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so so why add that in there? Yeah, I. Yeah. Not yeah. really, not really sure. Um, but um, yeah, Diomedia, again, I see this is where I, this is a hard place. It's a hard place where we are at the end of season one. And honestly, like it's, a, well, let me step, I'll step back from this in just a second. But Diomedia's comment was, I'm still not liking Gilgalad's apparent belief in the Mithril story. Um, we have not been given any clear way to understand Gilgalad's point of view in this show. Like, does that seem a fair thing to say? Um, the most we got of Gilgalad was in episode five when he was saying <laughs> disquieting things. Right. And the question that the things Gilgalad kept, kept saying, kept raising was why is he, why does he, like, what exactly does he believe? Why does he believe this? Like, what's going on yeah, with him? What Why? What's motivating him? What happened to drive him to this? What is? What's his picture? What, what conclusion? Did you drink? Yeah. Yeah. What? What? What conclusions is he drawing? Where is he coming from? Like, we notice that apart from his conversations with Elrond, which are the things that like we want explanations for, what we never get from Gilgalad, we never get like private conversations between him and somebody else in which he's telling the other, like he never, he doesn't have any confidants. Gilgalad doesn't have a confidant, yeah. right? I mean, Elrond kind of is, I'm not trying to undermine their relationship, but that's a very formal relationship. He's not just opening yeah. himself up. He's not being yeah. vulnerable to Elrond. 
but we've only seen ceremonial Gogalit. It yes. would be really it would be really helpful if we saw behind closed doors Gogalit because then we would understand a fair bit more. And it's like very counter to the Gilgalad that I thought he was. And yes. he goes very against, you know, the expectation. And talking to um oh, blanking his name, um Benjamin Walker. Actor, Walker. Talking to him on Twitter, his understanding and knowledge of the character and the lore was real intense and yes. really beautifully sophisticated. So if he has that kind of understanding, you have to assume the character has that kind of depth. But we haven't seen that yet. Right. Exactly. And, and I, I don't know if that's strategic or a And of course, the, this is... I mean, Galadriel was the focus of this kind of conversation a lot. Um, but I think it's actually, at the end of the day, Gilgalad is the one where it was most painful and most apparent in season one. And what I'm talking about is the whole, this is the beginning of the arc, right? We know where Gilgalad is going to end up. Like, we know what kind of character he is. We all came with expectations. But remember, the expectations in general that we are bringing from Tolkien for almost every character... Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the almost. Almost every character we know from the Second Age, what we get from them in Tolkien is static. Yeah. We don't get any character development in Gilgalad, right? He's a static figure in the legends, right? In the legends and in the histories. Um, we don't get any development of Galadriel's character. We get some in the... Like, we get evidence that there has been development, but we never see her at an earlier stage. Even in the Silmarillion, we don't really see Galadriel, at least not for very long, tiny little snippets. Um uh, of the things that Christopher included in the Silmarillion. So even with Goadriel, we get a pretty static Goadriel at the end of her journey. Um, Elendil, right? Isildur, he's my almost. Like, he, we do get some... The change in his character is an important element that we get, right? As his corruption by the ring, um, or at yeah. least his implicit corruption by the ring, um, is important. So he's one who does move a little bit uh, within the story just because it's it's about the story of the ring. Um, but again, almost everybody else whose names we know is not the kind of character in Tolkien's writings that grows and changes and gets any kind of arc, any kind of character development. And in this show, they are setting out to tell this long story in which all of these characters are the central characters and they are going to get a long arc. This was a big obstacle for people with Galadriel when they were seeing Galadriel at the beginning um, and saying like, oh, Galadriel, is, this is not the Galadriel I know. And of course the point is, it's not supposed to be the Galadriel you know. This is the story about how she became the Galadriel you knew and so she's not going to be there that at the beginning. It's true of Gilgalad too. He is not yet going yeah. he is not yet and it's okay that he not be yet the Gilgalad that we know or believe that we know agree well and even if you don't i don't know i'm still struggling though that it's just such a big ask of your audience and it if is. you are if you are a tolkien fan this is a big ask like yeah. if you're not a tolkien fan it's it's not hitting and that's that's tricky it is hard i mean it's so this is where I was gonna I was gonna back up a step and say this is one of the things that thinking not thinking about Tolkien not even thinking about the Rings of Power show for itself, but thinking about the Rings of Power as a um, a data point in the yeah. history of streaming television. It's a fascinating little case study, isn't it? Yeah. Because I don't think we've ever seen anything like this, where a show has been pre-approved for a five-season run, and so from the beginning, they are deliberately telling the setup for a 50-hour-long yeah. story. 
every other, I believe every other thing we've gotten, even things like Game of Thrones, like, of course, Game of Thrones, there was a long story, right? There was, you know, those, it was always planned to be a multi-season story, but they didn't know it was going to be continued into season yeah. two when they launched season one. Like, that yeah. was not a given. They weren't writing season one knowing that you know there would be six it was, more for them right, to follow those arcs yeah. right um yeah. they so like the way in which for instance uh the lord of the rings films right when the fellowship of the ring film was made it was made in the knowledge there were going to be two other films right um and so it was it was definitely told as film one of a three film trilogy um and the entire like the the, the whole the structuring of film one um was done with that in mind right um yeah. that's the kind of thing as far like with now substitute for film one season one right that kind of thing we've not seen that kind of storytelling either yeah. ever before or very often before i mean i i'm not like i don't follow all streaming television of course so maybe there have been other examples i don't know about but i think this is certainly the most high profile example of that and i think that we can see there are some real challenges to that, especially yeah. in the context of a viewing audience whose expectations have been formed by the other kind of streaming yeah. show, um, where yeah, every think, show has to leave everything on the table in season one if they expect it to get continued. Yeah, I mean, that kind of exactly that kind of challenge of put all your cards on the table and make it amazing. And then maybe we'll give you another one. It's real different ball game if if you're having the less pressure to to put that out there and i think that's really amazing in terms of a production value so what a bold and brave move to say yeah we are going to do something different because there isn't anything out there like this that is risky because yeah for all the reasons we've said it's a struggle sometimes to keep up with it or to understand why they're doing it this way because we don't know the big picture yet but they're doing it anyway. You know, it's like, that's pretty cool to have this piece of art out there that we do have to put a little bit more work into because it's been a long time since we've had a streaming show that we've had to put work into. It's so easily digestible and there's so much out there that if you don't like it, you can just turn to the next easy thing and watch, yes. you know, 17 cooking shows in the same 12 seconds if you want, you know? <laughs> right. So it, it right. is nice to have something that does ask differently of you, but that's also a big risk. It is a big risk. I mean, and it's one of the things, I mean, my biggest, my biggest picture characterization of the challenge of the Rings of Power in season one is that it asks a lot of its viewers, like in, in a lot of different ways, in several different yeah. L in, you know directions. It, it demands it's, it's a demanding show, and one of the things it demands again back to Gilgalad, one of the things that it demands is patience. And Gilgalad again, I felt like uh, he is probably at the bottom of my list of characters on the resolution scale. Like, how much resolution did we get? How much progress did we make? Um, in the development of those characters over the course of the season, I would put Gilgalad at the bottom of the list. Um, we got almost nothing in terms of development. We, yeah, we we, we got these things and they were never explained and they never moved. And again, like on the one hand, like that's fine. You can't do it all. As we were just saying it's already trying to do too much, right? So it's being like, what it really should have added much more thorough development of Gilgalad's character into a series that we're already saying was really jam packed and you know was maybe already too trying much. to do too much. Um, so you can't do everything. So, but but man, but but it, but it so it demands patience. It demands yeah. that we we keep. We have to keep like looking at this 
not really very attractive, um, not even in some ways really comprehensible, comprehensible in the sense of like, we don't know what's driving Gilgalad. Like, yes. why is he doing what he's doing? Why does he yeah. act the way that he acts? Right now, he's just a plot point. He's just a device to, like, move action forward. But I don't yes. care, you know? Yes, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. You're right. He was a plot obstacle in episode eight, yeah. especially. Yeah. Right. He was a plot obstacle to be overcome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, and again, I'm not even I'm not even saying that that's that that's wrong. That's a bad again, You can't do everything. But we just we have to acknowledge that at the end of season one, we're in a place where we have to merely be patient with that. Yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of, that's kind of the way it is. Um, but, uh, um, so yeah. we haven't really talked about the stranger of the Harfoots considering that was the main thing we we're going to talk about. Yeah. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's keep doing that. Let's talk about, let's talk about the stranger and the Harfoots. Um, I, um, let's see. I love where the stranger plot is going. And I mean that in more than one sense. I like the, I mean, the actual, the actual direction, like East, on the map. <laughs> yeah. like where it's going on the map. I really like that. Um, I, um, I like the, I have thought from the beginning, I have been delighted uh, with the idea of them playing with um, them playing with, the incarnation of the Astari. Uh, I have spent so much time talking about the incarnation of the Astari over the years, trying to explain Gandalf, the way that Tolkien depicts Gandalf. He is not just a powerful spiritual being who is like taking on a visible form in order to walk among people. That is not Gandalf. That is not the wizards. They are incarnate. They, they have bodies. They can suffer be killed and die. That is what it means for them to be incarnated. They were, they are a joined together spirit and body, just like humans and elves are joined to, and dwarves presumably are joined together, spirits and bodies. Um, it happened differently. It was a special thing that occurred. Um, uh, they weren't born as babies, right? And grew up. Uh, they were born they were incarnated as old men uh but they were not uh but they're not again they're not just spiritual beings that's just that's not just how how they work um and so therefore and we get hints we get hints in the lord of the rings especially in the two towers and return of the king with gandalf on his return that that incarnation process is traumatic involves memory loss involves even um like forgetting of your own identity right. um it is not at all obvious to me that gandalf in the lord of the rings especially leading up until his falling in moria remembers his life in valinor before his incarnation that is not at all obvious to me that that is the case um so he remembers what he was called. He remembers his name, Oloran. I am not convinced. He might, but I am not convinced that he remembers his whole life as a Maiar. Um, so anyway, I, the idea that this is what I was excited by from the beginning. This is one of the primary reasons why I was so convinced from day one that the, that the stranger was obviously a wizard. Because that seemed to be 
the game they were playing from the beginning. This is not just somebody who's discombobulated because he had a traumatic experience falling from the sky. This was somebody who didn't know what it meant to be in a body, didn't know how to, didn't know how to eat, didn't know, um, uh, presumably even the, like what hunger, I mean, it was, it was, it was strange. Right. Um, uh, and I loved that. Like I was, and, and the way in which then that was integrated with him, uh, you know, with Nori's courage and her determination to befriend him and to help him um, and the way in which, you know, they would come to his aid and then he would come to their aid, which first gets modeled in in sort of small scale um, with the uh, with his helping them pull the cart. Right. Um, as a kind of a sort of a yeah, symbol for what is coming later. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so. um uh, so yeah, I, I I think that it's it's um it's really um it's really interesting uh, to see them kind of develop this idea. So where this then is go- so that's another thing that I really like about where this story is going um, is that when we get to the end of episode eight, now his memory his memory is kind of starting to come back. Like he he knows more, he remembers more. Um, he sounds he, different. He's more confident. He, yeah, he speaks in yeah. full sentences. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, understands understands things better, and that's great. Like I I I I, I, I like that. You know the the idea of like that he is one of the wise, right? He is he is, um, you know, he is an Istar who um you know which means wise um he's he is an istar who is just like himself figuring things out trying to like recall his purpose recall you know what he's supposed to do um anyway i i i i think that the trajectory of his character has been really really interesting and uh, incidentally i love daniel wyman's performance Mm. uh i think daniel wyman's performance as the stranger has been uh, a really, uh, a really significant thing, a really powerful uh, uh, element of this show. I think he's done a great, great job. Um, has that been your impression too? Have you have you really liked his 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 portrayal there? I really have because I also think, like in terms of a character too, he is one of the strongest arcs. That at the very beginning, befuddled, confused, the sounds he was making. You know, there was the way he moved his body. Like there were so many differences to the one that we saw in, in I was going to say season eight, episode eight, that mm-hmm. he really does make this like really sophisticated growth into the character. So yeah, the performance is what did that. Um, I also watched a bit about some of the special effects of him and the body double that they used and just how they kind of put together the physicality of him it was mm-hmm. just incredible and how he participated in that performance um yeah he i think he's definitely one of the i don't want to say stand out because there's so many people but he's not one that i ever got nervous about on screen mm-hmm. <laughs> that when mm-hmm. he was on screen you're just kind of like something cool is going to happen yeah. um and I, I i really like where he ended up and it was just his you know we we're saying like speaking in full sentences but it was the gravitas that he brought as well that he wasn't just saying these things to I don't know it, it felt like important and he was remembering and we should listen to him it was very engaging mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's a that's a big shift from where we started eating yeah. snails yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah. no um, I think it was great yeah no I thought that so it's I guess I guess to say there's a lot of things that I really like I like the met, go ahead have you met him yeah I did yeah. I did he was actually one of the ones that I uh I spent 
a good deal of time with uh, at the lunch that we had in San Diego. Um, and of course, and he had the hardest job of anybody there because he was the one who couldn't say anything about his character. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like his, you know, everybody else, I like, couldn't reveal stuff. But like even, even Charlie Vickers could talk about Halbrand. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it's, whereas the stranger could not, like, like yeah, you know, but, but even the, vagueish things that he was stuck with st- with saying were really I mean he talked about sort of the the journey that his character is on um the comment which was really kind of poignant as he was open about the fact that you know the position he was placed in being cast as like the mystery character in season 1 um left him in a place where he couldn't where as he said he couldn't share this like the, you know and his comment on the release of season 1 was that he was so looking forward to other people being able finally being able to to share and you know that he throughout the you know the filming and everything had been uh, had been on this journey you know sort of going on, on this journey with this character in 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 you know the way he was going and that finally people were going to be able to come along with him on that journey and he was going to be able to share that with people in ways that he just had not ever yeah. been um yeah yeah, yeah. That's so. gonna be a little bit liberating to be like, "Yay, I have friends again!" <laughs> right, talk exactly. About my I can yeah. talk exactly. I don't have to pretend I'm nobody. He was even saying like his uh, his 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 friends and family had been right. kept teasing him because they're like, "Who are you playing in the show?" And he's like, "I'm the stranger." And they're like, "Yeah, that's not a real character. <laughs> you, <know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even have a name. You're just an extra." <laughs> right. Uh, like, so yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but um, but anyway, I I um, I I like that. So, you know, so Monty, I'm going to disagree with you here uh, pretty strongly. Actually, uh, Monty is saying that the stranger's characterization was really hurt by the mystery box. He ended up being a plot device and not a real character. I disagree. Um, I disagree with that pretty strongly, actually. Um, this is my... I think that Halbrand was hurt by by the mystery box. Um, I don't think that The Stranger was hurt by it. Um, what we get with The Stranger was what I was looking for all along. That is, what we get is... Everything that we saw is explained by the reveal. Almost everything. There's still some unanswered questions. Um, like, no, I still don't know why he arrived in a meteor. And no, we still don't yet know why the fire wasn't hot. Uh, but there was definitely, Druid's Fire, as you say, there was definitely progression with the stranger. We could see how there were some things that led people to think he might be evil. But of course, that was part of his interaction with the Harfoots. There were lots of reasons for the Harfoots, even Nori herself, to think that he might be evil. He was definitely dangerous, right? Um, is he a is he a, is he a bad guy or is he not a bad guy? Um, there was there ambiguous evidence pointing in multiple directions. Yes, of course there was. Did that serve the mystery box? Yes, of course it did. But it also fit with the situation, especially with from the Harfoot point of view. Um, they were. Um, we saw from the beginning, they were almost certain to interpret. We got several indications that they would not only interpret him as a bad thing, but they would blame everything wrong that happened to them for the next year on him. Right. Yeah, if, and Nori. Uh, yeah. And Nori. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so there's, so there, there was this con the, the context in which he was placed within the narrative was one in which there was, uncertainty even up through episode seven uh when he 
is kicked out, right, before uh, Nori turns to go and follow him, it's not unreasonable, right? That their, their reading of him is not unreasonable. Um, and even the other things, like one of the things that uh, most people cited as one of the most obvious pieces of evidence that he was clearly a bad guy was the death of the fireflies in episode two. But they came back and explicitly incorporated the death of the fireflies. He still felt bad about killing the fireflies, right? It became clear from from the opening scene of episode five that he felt guilty about killing the fireflies and did it out of ignorance. He didn't realize it would kill them to do to them what he was doing. That it was just, again, part of his not understanding how how these things, you know, how these things worked and him kind of coming to this to this understanding. Um, so anyway, I I thought that this in this way, remember we were talking, when we were talking, Maggie, about misdirection way back, like after episode three or four or whatever, right? And we were talking about, it was exactly that scene, the Firefly scene that yeah. prompted this discussion. Um, there seemed to be all these things planted because at that time when we got the Firefly scene, I was I was like, okay, I'm still, I, I feel 100% sure this guy's a wizard and a good guy. And yet, there seem there are these clear things that are being. But even the even the theme music was uh, giving us as viewers the direct cue, like, "Be afraid, this is an evil guy," right? Yep. And that was seemed an active piece of misdirection on their part. Um, and I and and so we were talking about that. And and as I recall, what we said at the time was, if those things can be resolved, if they can be integrated, like when the when things are finally revealed when it comes to a resolution at the end, as long as those things, all of those mul- things pointing in multiple directions tie in and feed towards the ultimate, um, the ultimate outcome, the ultimate story, uh, then, then it's fine. Then it, then it works. It's when you then have to go back and ignore things that or it things becomes, aren't answered. yeah, if yeah like or things aren't answered. That would, that would have been our, our problem. But yeah. I think it was also interesting with this character because he was figuring it out as we were figuring out, as Nori was figuring it out. And that's very real life, right? You know, like, I don't know if I'm always a good person. I try to be, you know, (laughs) so like we're actually watching somebody figure that out and to learn what good and bad is and to make those decisions. And she reminds him of that a few times, but she's also scared of him a couple of times. Like there's a real shift of the dynamic that everyone's figuring it out. And I think that is not a mystery box that is really engaging um, and and also just a very accurate depiction of, of what it is to figure out what this experience is as a person. Right. Um, and especially since think, he's not just an average person figuring it out. Like he, he yeah, doesn't I mean, we, yeah, we understand how things power. work. Yeah. yeah. And we see a lot of power and that can be scary. So yeah. let's let's show that power because too much power anywhere is is scary. Right. And here we are seeing that. Yeah, I, I, I did struggle with some of the like notes, though. So I'd, I'd be curious of your thoughts on that of, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's talking about the follow your nose and, and all these little things like, yes, I fully see that's just what these wizards say and stuff. But like they're knowingly put the, putting them in. So we think of Gandalf. I sure. don't think that's Absolutely. a problem because it's familiar. Yeah. But it does feel a little bit like baiting that I'm also a little concerned that. I don't yep. know if the payoff is going to be as good as it could have been. Totally you know agree. What I mean? Totally agree. Um, I think that one way or the other, no matter how it ends up, um, it is it is definitely a criticism that I would make. I think that the Gandalf parallels have been too much 
definitely yeah. too much. And that's going to be true whatever way it is. If it turns yeah. out to be Gandalf, it will have been too much. Okay, um, that was too much. It will have been too much. Because yeah. like they, they've, they, if, if, if it turns out to have been Gandalf, then they're delaying that official reveal too long. They should have just, instead of having him quote Gandalf from the Fellowship of the Ring, they should have just had him give his name uh, yeah. at the end and have done Right. So if it, if it is going to be revealed to be Gandalf, they've already said too much. Yeah. And I and again, P.S. I won't like it if it turns out to be Gandalf. Um, I think it will be a foolish decision uh, to have done that um, uh, because they're telling a blue wizard story. This is the story of the blue wizards. Um, they're so I mean, Gandalf the blue. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just. I, what I've said about that from the very beginning is if they do that, I'll be a little disappointed. Yeah. Uh, and I'm prepared to be a little disappointed if that happens. Yeah. But at least he is going to be Gandalf the Blue. At least it's going to be... Um, I mean, he 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 he, he it, like, that's definite. He's doing a blue wizard story. Like that's, um, you know, if they've if they've tied a blue wizard up in the closet and given Gandalf his story, okay, you know, like the classic meme about Gorfindel and Arwen in the in the uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring film, right? Um, uh, so yeah, if they've tied up the blue wizard somewhere and they've given his story to Gandalf, fine. I yeah. I won't love that. Um, I, I I will think that's unnecessary. Um, a significantly unnecessary thing. Um, and yeah, it's true. Gandalf never went to the East. Again, you can change that. Like, But there are consequences to this. Again, that's why I don't want... There's several reasons why I don't want it to be Gandalf. Some are purely subjective. Like, I think it would be... I personally would very much more enjoy getting to know a new wizard. You know, meeting one of the blue wizards and getting connected to one of the blue wizards. The blue wizards have always been this mystery cipher in Tolkien's works. Like, we know they exist. We don't know almost anything about them. We know a little bit about them here and there. Some contradictory things about them from Tolkien's changing vague ideas, but he never told a story about them. So I'd love a story about the blue wizards. That's that's my very subjective reason why I hope it's not Gandalf still. Um, but the other reasons, I, I always talk about this when you make, when you're dealing, when you're adapting the original story, you are not obligated to keep everything the same way that it was. But when you make changes, there are costs to that. Yes. Right? You know, you, you have to be ready to pay the, I mean, it has to be worth the payoff of making the change, uh, has to be worth the cost of making the change, or else it's a shaky choice. Um, and I think that's my concern with this. They're laying so much groundwork for us to think that it's Gandalf, that if it is Gandalf, okay. Then it's, that took a lot then of it's time. not great. Yeah. And if it's not Gandalf, I'm like, okay. Then, then why, why, did you wh why was it, why did it like, appear to be misleading? Yeah, especially exactly. Especially when we're talking about cramming too much in and we could have used more time with Gogalad's arc, you know, like there's other places that I would have spent that money, you know? Right. And I don't mean right. money physically. I mean like time, time is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah screen time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I agree. So that's why I'm I am I am not a fan of the depth and extent of Gandalf parallels that they're making, because, again, I yeah. think whatever way it turns out, that's not going to be a great thing. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's definitely a thing that I that I uh, that I don't like um, about the first. But again, do I think that it's, you know, like that that line proves that it's Gandalf absolutely no, not no. absolutely not and again to like to to explain that one more time um the i say one more time that was a piece of optimism on my part um one more time right now one more time one more time right now um 
why would they so to answer the question which i've been asked many times before why would they give him a gandalf line if he's not gandalf and the answer is cuz they're establishing a clear and explicit parallel with gandalf they are prompting um as i've said before the question with the stranger throughout the season has not really been who is he the question is what is he right is he good or is he bad? Is he good or is he a peril? That's the exact terminology of the of the question through his conversation that begins with his conversation with Nori that becomes articulated at the beginning of episode five. In other words, right exactly halfway through the season. Um, that was the implicit question at the beginning. It's given voice in terms in, the, in that conversation with Nori and they keep asking that question through episode seven when he's kicked out and then the apples all come and they realize that he was actually good after all and they go after him and they help him and then Nori pushes him to make that final choice in episode 8 are you going to be good or are you going to be a peril it's up to you to choose and he chooses right that's the question the question is is he a good guy or is he a bad guy Um, not like what is your identity like what name is on your birth certificate is not the question that like the show is demanding an answer to through episode season 1 for the stranger the question is are you a good guy or are you a bad guy and the Gandalf parallels are a persistent like indication of what the answer is, right? Um, we know what his relationship with the Harfoots like is or is meant to be, right? Um, a, like Gandalf and the Hobbits. And so we get that most explicit direction at the end. Nori is going off with this guy. Well, in case you had any lingering doubts we're going to make it perfectly clear that you should categorize Nori and the stranger going off as like somebody going off with Gandalf, right? Yeah, um, that's Bilbo or Frodo right there. Right, He's an ex- yeah. she is in exactly that mode, and we're going to make this, we're going we're gonna to punch you in the face with this by giving him that quote from Gandalf. It's, a, it's perfectly fine. And it's a similar relationship. You know, there's definitely moments with Gandalf where they're scared of him. Bilbo Baggins, you know, there's... Mm-hmm there's some fear there so it's yep. it's okay to show that dynamic and have it be repeated and i do like the idea of these phrases just being something that the meyer would share with each other so you know you have these kind of isms that are just passed down through your people that it makes sense for him to say it but yeah these parallels are pretty dang strong in your face yes. so but the good the bad i think you're right that that's the focus here we're not I, I mean, not telling us is making everybody speculate about the name on the birth certificate. And there's a lot of, of discussion around that as opposed to maybe some other discussion that I would prefer to spend a lot of time on. But uh, I, I do think the main focus that we need now is good or bad. And mm-hmm. now we have that answer. So now we have yeah. that answer. And again, and that's, it's why I think of all of them actually, Hmm. Is this true? Sometimes I pause before I say things to ask if I really believe what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Usually not, but sometimes I occasionally pause. But I think the Stranger's storyline, like of all the single characters, mm-hmm. I think the Stranger's storyline might be my favorite in terms of Ooh. how it resolves. Like mm-hmm. like just, just as a season one plot line, um, from where it begins to where it ends, I think that the Stranger's storyline might be the most satisfying uh, to me of all of them mm-hmm. and with many of them it's just because we just we you know they're still an incomplete time right yet. yeah we just don't know um uh but his is in good shape but his i think is in really is is in a really interesting place and that he and nori are now set to begin a totally different kind of adventure 
it, it also doesn't mean that this is who he is for all of time now. He has chosen good right now. This could also be setting us up for him to turn bad in three or four. We don't know. And which is very really, much on the table. Yeah, um, and a really interesting story arc. So if he starts yeah. off as as we can see both sides and we choose good and he's with our friend Nori and they're trying to help and grow and work together, you know, that kind of attitude. Yeah. For that to then come crashing down, think of the betrayal and the emotion that would be attached to that. That's a beautiful story device for us to have some of yeah. that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um yeah. Yep. No, I, um, um, I like it. I like it. Yeah. And like I said, as I keep saying, if the stranger turns out to be Gandalf, I'm not going to hate it. It's fine. It'll be fine. Like we can live with that. I, the cost, I, they, there, there are ways in which they can handle the cost of making that change. Uh, those changes as it involves more than one change. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, get, I won't prefer it. But again, I don't care. What I wanted from the beginning was a Blue Wizard story. And we're getting that. So if they have to, uh, again, if they have to steal the Blue Wizard story and cat recast Gandalf as the hero of the Blue Wizard story, it'll not be my favorite way that it could be told. But uh, but we're still getting a Blue Wizard story. So but I'll take choice. it. Gandalf yeah. the Blue. All right, fine. If he's Gandalf the Blue, he's Gandalf the Blue. But he's still Gandalf the Blue. So that's fine. That's fine. I like it. I like your attitude. You can't change it. Let's just try it. <laughs> well, you know, again, and this is this is the really hard place. Again, it's another one of those things that's so interesting. I go back to what we were talking about before about um, the the way that this works in the in the context of other streaming TV shows, right? Um, even people who are willing to be patient past one episode, right? Which often people are not willing to be patient past one episode to let things develop in a streaming show. Um, but surely the limit of patience required is one season, right? Mm. At the end of season one, you should be in a place to be able to draw conclusions about what's going on. And, you know, and, but again, because of the nature of the, what we're seeing is the opening act. Um, if this is a five-act Shakespearean play, you can't draw a conclusion about what's happening in the play at the end of Act One. Like, mm. you never can. Um, yeah. And that's what we're getting. And so even there, like, it's it's there's so many opportunities for it to go well or badly. Like, the good things that are great about episode in Season 1 could turn out horribly uh, by the end of Season 5. The things that are really uncertain and shaky. And say, Gilgalad could end up being my favorite character by the end of Season 5. We just don't know. Um, and again, that's that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Like, that's... It's it's a very different kind of, uh, kind of situation to be in. Yeah. But, um... Anyway, yeah. So, um uh we will um we will see. Yeah. No, and again, love- so for for folks for the Gandalf advocates again, I'm not resisting you. I'm not resisting and I'm fine with it. And do I also see that there are benefits? Yes. Again, this is why I've never ever ever said I think it's going to be a disaster. All I've said is I'm not I wouldn't I won't love it. And I, it's going to be expensive. There there's there there are, are going to be costs to pay elsewhere. But- this is the that's same it. boat we were in with Halbrand and Sauron. It's um, if that's what he ends oh, up. Oh come being, on! You okay. had to say this is the boat that we're in with Halbrand and Sauron. Oh. Like, I want to just rub salt in the wound, okay? 
of all the metaphors to invoke in that context. <laughs> we had to get out Brandon a boat. <laughs> I would like to take credit that I was that clever and you loved I did not. But what I was trying Sorry. to say is... It's possible is that, that I'm easily triggered, but it's okay. <laughs> possible. Oh, what I was thinking there was the same kind of thing of like, we suspected that there could be a Sauron tie early on, but that would have been a shame because the Halbrand character was so interesting and it was such a great mm-hmm. opportunity to develop that. Yeah. But if it is that he was Sauron all along, I'm kind of like, bummer, you know? <laughs> like, fine. Yeah. But, I mean, but again, I, even I like, there, there's still time, like there's still time for the this something things to, to come out, you know, develop and, in ways that are going to make me look differently. I mean, again, how many times, Dick, do you look differently back, you know, as a play goes on to the first act and, you know, yeah. and you it, it all now looks different, you know, looking back yeah. at it from where you get by the middle. It, and again, that's it's 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 a challenge. It's a real challenge uh, uh, in this show. And that I think we just, we have to be and I'm not saying like I'm not saying everybody you know like it is incumbent upon everybody to suspend all judgment you know until like seven years from now like it's fine like you know people can decide what they like and what they don't like what they're interested in what they're not interested well, and in you and can stuff, totally but, acknowledge yeah. how hard this is like absolutely that, yeah like I can't say I'm enjoying every moment of this show because it's asking a lot of me it's not an easy watch and you know, Peter Jackson's trilogy was just such an easy win. It's just a good movie. They're fun. Yes, they made some changes I don't agree with, and they made some that I think were awesome, but they were just easy. This is not easy. It's hard. I I wish, I wonder. I really wonder. I can't detach my response to the Peter Jackson films from my first response to the Peter Jackson films. Oh, okay. Like, yep. My reaction to the Peter Jackson films, like, that was the training for me. Like, I... I would, I mean, I freely confess. Yeah. Um, that was your might, boot camp. Oh, man. I was like, yeah, boot camp. It was like, um, it was more like, uh, I don't know. Baptism by fire camp? Yeah, Pearl Harbor. Like, it was then boot camp. I mean, it was it was hard. It was hard for me. I was like, I, 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 this is why, although I am sometimes frustrated by people who are like so dogmatically purist, um, People who insist on saying they can't say this because that's not how it happened in the story and stuff. And I'm like, guys, really? But but I, I was absolutely there. I mean, yeah. I, I even the folks who are militant, who are like, it's our job to stand up for Tolkien against yeah. the things that are being said. Uh, man, like, but for the grace of God, I might have been there in, you know, 99, I mean, I'm talking about Corey Olson now as a character arc. It's important for you and everyone else, too, to have felt that. Like, you have to have that moment of reaction to understand the pitfalls of adaptation. Because if you don't have that kind of connection to a text and feel that kind of betrayal and that kind of anger, then you're going to make decisions for your entire creative process that threaten that. Yeah. So if you're able to feel that now, you can look back with these wise old eyes of yours and say, <laughs> take a breath, Coriolson. And yeah. But it's so hard to separate that first reaction from later, more rational ones. Yeah, exactly. And so, so like, as far as the easiness of the Peter Jackson films, like they were not easy for me, but I think that's a me story or yeah. at least, uh, you know, that's part of my story. Me, it's they, not necessarily part of their story. They were my gateway. Like they're the right. reason I got into all this is, is, is that. So like 
for me, it was all positive. And then you learn more and it gets even more positive. And then you read the books. You're like, oh, you made some changes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. This, I mean, so it was, yeah. it was, yeah. It, this is it's, a different kettle of fish. It is a different kettle of fish, um, but in so many ways, in so many ways. And again, one of the things when it comes to the, well, again, there's so many, let's emphasize another thing that is so different. Um, and again, this is something I think I, I want to continue talking about because I think that I would like to do a little bit more, not today, because we're running out of time, but I would like to do a little bit more theorizing at some point with you, Maggie, about the difference between what I've been, like two different classes of adaptation, right? Um, I would say, I guess there would be sort of three different possible versions of adaptations. One is, uh, probably there's more, but anyway, one is the, like, retelling. Like, we're just doing a retelling of the known story. Um, like, so, you know, in this category, the Lord of the Rings films, the Harry Potter films, right? These are retelling adaptations. Um, the second category is what I'm calling in my head the fill-in-the-blanks adaptation, where they're not retelling a primary story, mm-hmm. but they are telling stories inspired by those stories and taking place within that world. That's what the Rings of Power is. The Rings of Power is a fill-in-the-blanks adaptation. It is not... Um, I, I hear people on the internet saying things like, I can't under, I can't believe what they're doing to Tolkien's story. And I'm just like, which story? What story? What story? Yeah. They're not, yeah. It's not a retelling. They're not just yeah. doing a retelling. Or um, when people say these made-up characters, they, they invented these characters. Yeah, because yeah, we don't exactly. have any. Right. And the world was populated by a lot of people. So More than kings few. and queens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so... Um, uh, anyway, so so that's and so uh, there's there are so many. It's a, like it's such a different proposition when you think of adaptation and what it means and what it demands and the kinds of choices you have to make. And most especially the question. Is it faithful to the original or not? That question, when you ask the faith, the fidelity question of a fill in the blanks adaptation what you have to do to answer that question is so much different than a retelling adaptation when you're talking about fidelity. And it's so loaded. This, yeah, so this is at loaded. least one more discussion. Yeah, exactly. Now, again, I think there might be a third kind of adaptation, which is like um, not trying to do a retelling, but a sort of like, um, I don't know, like a riff off of adaptation. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the, some of the terms we often hear are like close, loose, retelling, like, the, the close adaptation is like Shakespeare. We're using every single word. We're doing it right. exactly as yeah. it is in the text, but we might add guns instead of swords and, you know, change what right. we can around it. Loose, lightly inspired by, has nothing to actually do with what is on the page. That is, I guess you could say that's The Hobbit. <laughs> that's a, well, no, I, I wouldn't well, say, I wouldn't say that. The Hobbit. So like, let me, let me get. Let I mean, me see, my favorite uh, reference is The Seeker. Susan Cooper's Dark is Rising okay. made into The Seeker. That was a loose adaptation. Right. That was but see, based on the text. But I would, so, but I, so I think that the categories I'm talking about are fundamentally different from your categories. In this, like, th- there can be like different overlaps and stuff. Like there can be sure. loose retellings or stricter retellings of, okay, uh, but it's still a retelling, right? Um, so I would like to cite another example that we talked about before, How to Train Your Dragon, right? Yeah. Is that's still, that's a retelling. 
it's an incredibly loose retelling. It's like vaguely yeah. inspired by using some of the same character names, but like way, I mean, so, so much is fundamental. It's not even recognizably the same story in almost any way, apart from the title and the names of some of the characters and a yes. few of the base, like there are Vikings involved and also dragons. But, um, uh, but anyway, like it's, but that's a quest. That's like a gradient within, but still in the re, in the retelling category, right? They're still doing a retelling, in a sense, in some sense. Mm. What I mean yeah. is, like again, like when you take the story that they're trying to tell in the adaptation, right? Um, what is that story's relationship to the original? Are they retelling a story? Are right. they telling another story that is filling in the blanks and is supposed to be connected with the story? So, so again, it's not like this. It's not like the Rings of Power is just like vaguely based on Tolkien. Like they are telling a story that is supposed to link up with the actual Tolkien story and right? in Tolkien's world. So it has to follow it, the same rules. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And with many of the same characters, it's still in a very different category from the retelling category. Yeah. But because its relationship with its source material is necessarily completely different. The third category, we've never had a Tolkien thing in the third category that I'm thinking of. And um, I, I can't... Okay, the only good example I can think of uh, is one whose name I don't remember, the title of the movie I don't remember. Uh, my uh, my wife is an enormous Jane Austen fan, uh, and we, we watch pretty much every Jane Austen adaptation that comes out. It was interesting you mentioning Pride and Prejudice. I've seen them all. Uh, oh, Bridget, and, I could go head to head with you. Yeah, oh, and I am so, and, and I am myself a huge Austen fan. I mean, she's one of my favorite authors. Uh, it has been uh, one of the ways, one of the many ways in which my life has been enriched by my marriage um, is, uh, it was, that was, uh, I don't know if I may have ever told you the story. This was the, the uh, uh, Bridget accepted me conditionally when I proposed. Uh, and the condition was prior to our wedding, I had to read the rest of Jane Austen's novels. I'd only read three uh, at that point. Um, and so I had to, I had to read the rest contract? of Jane Austen's like novels. This. Yeah. Yeah. It was excellent, uh, excellent. prior, Humble. prior to the, prior to the ceremony, I had to have read all of Jane Austen. Um, but um Anyway, so, which I loved, so uh, yeah. <laughs> and I discovered my favorite Jane Austen novel, which is Mansfield Park. That way, but anyhow, point, point is, I, I can't remember the name of the thing. It was a, it was a, a relatively recent um, Austen film, Austen adaptation. But it was and, so it was about like a modern British woman who like goes through. There's like this like portal that opens in her apartment, and she ends up going back to uh, into Jane Austen's world. Lost in Austen. Lost in Austen. That was it. Yeah. yeah. That's and 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 Jane Austen and and uh, and Elizabeth Bennet comes forward and ends up yep. living in yep. in modern England for a while, right? Um. So it's it's directly parallel. Like it parallels. It kind of retells the story, but it's not a direct retelling, right? No. It's not a direct retelling. It's not a fill in the blanks. It's like an influencer. It's like yeah. a riff off of, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I want to call this third category like the the even I would even put Pride and Prejudice and Zombies in this category, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like the kind of riffing off of, um, mm -hmm. where it's not just trying to do a retelling, nor is it filling in the blanks. It's doing, yeah. um, uh, it's doing, inspired uh, it's by. it's it, inspired by, and again, deliberately riffing off of. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of like Arthurian films that do this kind of thing or Arthurian stories that do this kind of thing. Not really trying to retell the King Arthur story, not really kind of filling in the blanks in the way that Arthurian stories often do. Like I'm going to tell the story, the unknown story of this other knight who is doing this right. other thing. Like what exactly was going on with Percival or whatever. Um, but um, uh, but uh, 
Anyway, but so yeah, that, that, that third category, as I say, that third category, I don't think is relevant to Tolkien yet. Anyway, we yes. may get there, but, um, but I don't think we've seen anything quite like that. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I, so I would love to, at some point we need to sit down I and I would like yeah. to talk with you more because I, I feel like we need, I don't know, I almost want to publish a guide, right? Like, I feel like everyone is talking about the question how faithful are the rings of power to Tolkien? And I'm like, no one's even thinking about the, like, how do you answer that question? Like, that, and whenever I hear yeah. people talking about that, I'm like, that's where I get stuck in like why the first lecture of any adaptation thing I ever give is about the language, because it's so hard to use words like faithful and fidelity and yes. betrayal and, you know, all these really loaded words when it is a totally different medium. You know, you cannot yeah. have one sentence from a book that is exactly the same as that one sentence is on film because there's 19 different things you have to consider for that one sentence to exist. Yeah. And that yeah. is sound, lighting, you know, so many different things. So right, right. faithful is a fruitless, silly <laughs> exploration. Yeah, but be, at the same time, like... There's something there, like talking about yeah. the relationship with the source material, like oh, it's there's a real relationship there, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and so thinking about that, but, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Of success. Right. Right. I agree with you about, um, uh, about being really cautious about the emotionally weighted language in which that yeah. relationship is analyzed and discussed. Um, but as I say, like even the basis, even the, you know, sort of the question, right, of how do you evaluate that relationship? Mm. The relationship is fundamentally different in a fill in the blanks adaptation than it is in a retelling adaptation. It's just you can't you can't talk about them the same way anyway so i i want to i want to i want to think about like what are some tools that we can yeah. build Bring in order to it. try to to try to like build a vocabulary for discussing this question um what's 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 a fair basis on which to to sort of assess the the relationship between uh -huh. you know the uh the adaptation and its source in different situations like this but before we go um well, I'd also, before we finish oh, yeah. that, I'd also yeah. like to do that because I want to expand beyond Rings of Power too. Like yes. we started this as such a conversation piece for talking about all the adaptations that are out there. So it'll yeah. be nice to kind of use that as a transition about all the other things that are coming up. Cause we've had so many people reach out to both of us about like, you know, Sandman and all these like wonderful things that have come out recently that we would love to talk about. Wheel of Time is still on the table. Uh, his dark materials, I very much want to dig into. So I feel like we've got some really wonderful conduits that we can use to talk about all these different things about adaptation. Yeah, yeah. we'll make you a reading list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, and there, and there's there's oh, I mean, and and it doesn't even. Yeah, I um, uh, another. Uh, by the way, this is another interest uh, that I have uh, developed through my wife's influence, um, Agatha Christie. Uh, so like. Um, Kenneth oh, Branagh's idea that he is Hercule Poirot is another like really interesting adaptation question for me. Uh, like oh. the, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> all, all kinds of things. Somebody I can, I mean, I've got somebody we can bring into that one. My friend Sandra is the biggest Agatha Christie fan I know. And she's a, yeah. a executive at BBC and has very strong opinions about those adaptations. <laughs> yeah. 
yes, yes. Uh, there, there have been strong uh, opinions in my household about those adaptations for sure. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and we can talk more about Austin and other things. I mean, there's, there's so much. It's, it's such a, it's such a fascinating and interesting field. Um, anyway, yeah. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get back to some of this stuff uh, as we move forward. But. Um, uh, we do have some more Rings of Power stuff to talk about next week, uh, because next week we have a we're going to have a special guest next week. Um, we've been working on scheduling this for uh, what feels like ages now for about a month, month and a half. Um, but Bear McCreary, the composer of the score of the Rings of Power, is going to join us on the show next week. Um, so we are hoping uh, we're going to we're, we're looking forward to that. There's something we're still ironing out final time. That's the um, we probably have to move the yeah. show to a different time of the day. So be on the lookout for that. We'll try to post some warnings about that. Um, but uh, I hope you'll be able to join us next week uh, as we uh, talk to Bear McCreary. I'm really looking forward to having that discussion. We're probably going to bring in some uh, uh, some other musical folks to uh, to talk about to talk with him uh, with us us on that as well um i thought that the score was really really strong in the rings of power the Um, score is one of the things i feel like no one has found fault with it's just stunning and it is so emotive and powerful like it does all the things that you hope a score will do and then some it's it's incredible yeah yeah Yeah, and some of the other things he's worked on you know church mentioned outlander and um, Battlestar Galactica my husband mentioned and just like please tell him how much I loved his work in Godzilla and like all these other, there's so many things that he's worked on that I think will yeah. be a lot of fun to dig into yeah absolutely so anyway so looking forward to a fun conversation with Bear McCreary next week again we'll confirm time and stuff but uh, but that is coming up and then you know, moving forward from there again, we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, really looking forward to other, you know, topics and uh, 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 you know, conversations uh, with folks. Other things you wanna you wanna discuss and talk about. Um, increasingly, I find adaptation. It's it's just it's such a rich and fascinating field to discuss. Um, I love. Uh, that I love the way the kind of critical and the critical and creative engagement with texts that underlies adaptations is uh, it just kind of brings I don't know it's like it brings my right and left brain together in ways that yeah. I find really satisfying and interesting. Yeah, I can see that fitting your brain quite well. And yeah, and yeah. one of the things I love about it is is the engagement element too because it's such a participatory section of academia and i think that's why i liked it so much because i don't feel like i fit so well in some of the other areas Mm -hmm. so it's such a nice one to be in because everybody has a strong opinion about a book that they loved that has turned into a tv or or film so like you can have this conversation with anyone and it's it's just a lovely field to kind of start discussing some of this stuff so yeah i look forward to that awesome very good um well Mm. thanks everybody for joining us and uh we will see you guys next week again probably at an at a at a at an earlier time is what we're looking at right now um but uh but again we'll definitely confirm that as we get closer uh thanks everybody and we will be back again next week bye now yeah